Hi everyone, welcome to HR Works, brought to you by BLR. I'm your host, Steve Bruce. HR Works provides clear, relevant, actionable information on topics that matter to HR professionals. When you're armed with best practices and strategies to attract, retain, and engage top talent and deliver exceptional value to your organization, HR works. We've talked a lot about engagement on this podcast, and the general thrust of these discussions uh, has uh, placed engagement as a cure-all for organizational woes. So today's guest uh, has a different take on this. He says that approach is misguided, and he has data to prove it. Dr. Scott Mondor is a predictive analytics expert, technology innovator, best-selling author, and speaker with over 17 years of experience in the HR technology, analytics, strategy, talent management, measurement, organizational development, and customer experience areas. Scott is a pioneer in developing the new way for HR to approach surveys and assessments, moving from a focus on the outcomes of surveys to utilizing surveys and assessments to impact business outcomes. As a way to lead this change, he and Dr. Shane Douthit harness their HR expertise, business experience, and advanced knowledge of statistical methodologies to co-author two books, Investing in What Matters, Linking Employees to Business Outcomes, was published by Sherm in 2009, and Business-Focused HR, 11 Processes to Drive Results, was published by Sherm in 2011. And both of those titles uh, have been Sherm top 10 bestsellers for multiple years. Scott is also the founder of Strategic Management Decisions, an employee survey and assessment company. Prior to founding that company, he served as East Region President for a large survey and assessment company, and before that, he was a Corporate Strategy Director at Maersk, Inc. He also worked as an Organizational Effectiveness Leader at UPS. He holds a Master's Degree and Doctorate in Applied Psychology from the University of Georgia. Scott, welcome to HR Works. Now I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. So... Let's start with your proposition that viewing engagement as a corporate panacea is misguided. How did you come to this position? Well, I think you've got to come to any position from numerous angles and with a lot of data and and accurate analytics. And I think what we've seen over the years is a lack of, number one, a lack of movement on engagement, meaning, you know, for over 20 years, Gallup has put out their numbers on on their clients for engagement, and those numbers really haven't moved in 20 years, even though everybody's talking about engagement, everybody's supposedly working on engagement. Uh, there's plenty of vendors out there that'll say they have all they need to know about engagement, and how could the number not have moved in, in over 20 years? It, it doesn't make any sense. Number two is, is you know, we've had great economies, lousy economies, terrorism, five different presidents in that time, and we still don't get any movement out of that number. And then there's no real connection between movement and engagement and economic factors, corporate performance, et cetera. 
the last thing is that companies will, and like anybody, you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket, that by just gaining an engagement score or having some type of score that I guess you're happy with, that that somehow means that the heavens will open up and money will start falling out of the sky. So there's a lot of, um, I would say, promises made around engagement, and yet we don't really see anybody uh, gaining the outcomes that they hope to gain out of them, uh, which I think is uh, disappointing out of all the time that's put in there. But I think it, it also came from a place of, of bad analytics to begin with, meaning that it never really worked, but vendors wanted it to work. HR leaders wanted it to work because it's something that they could work on. Um, and we kind of barreled down this rabbit hole pretty quickly without having any real evidence that it actually works, which is definitely a problem for, for anybody who's trying to improve their, I guess you could say, their credibility in their organizations that we should focus on these things. One other thing I would add about it is that, you know, engagement won't be here forever. There's already, you know, vendors talking about different things like grit and alignment empowerment and alignment and all these different new things and, you know, employee experience. So engagement will be a fad that will go away. And there certainly were different things before engagement came along, like job satisfaction and empowerment and all these different things. So it's one of those things where it'll come, it'll go, um, and then we'll move on to the next fad that is, that is going to get pushed down the road uh, by vendors and thought leaders, et cetera. But again, the, the loser here is the HR leader who kind of gets behind these things as a panacea, um, and then we move on to the next <laughs> the next issue uh, or the next cure-all, and, and that's what really hurts HR credibility in the long run. All right. Well, that's helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you have your data. Uh, your right. findings about engagement uh, are counter to what these other survey vendors are telling us. So what makes your study, your data, more accurate than the others? Sure. You know, we looked at all of our clients and and connected. There. And, our, you know, our whole approach is not to assume anything and not to rely on a panacea. Uh, our approach is like you going to the doctor, where the doctor doesn't walk in and say, oh, here's your pills, because you probably have this issue. No, they do a diagnosis on you. They take blood, they you know, they listen to your breathe, they listen to your heart, et cetera. So that's what we do with our data, is to walk in with any type of survey and not assume that we have all the answers. The data has all the answers. The, the way that we do our studies is to take things like employee surveys and line them up with performance outcomes, turnover data, financial data, sales data, customer sad data, and run very sophisticated analytics. Uh, so we don't run just correlations, which, you know, very bad. You know, shark attacks and ice cream sales are correlated. It doesn't mean that one causes the other. They just both happen to go up in the summertime, but that's called bad analytics. Uh, just saying that companies that make a lot of money or have high stock prices also have high engagement scores is also bad analytics because it could be that maybe you got rid of a lot of people and fired a lot of people and improved your processes and now you're making more money and by making more money that makes people more engaged because they're 
they're they're working for a winner now. That that's successful. It may not be that working on engagement made the stock price go up. So there's no proof that there's any connection there. So what makes us more accurate is we're taking actual data on a case by case basis, running advanced analytics and not on bore you to death, but we do something called structural equation modeling, which kind of eliminates all the error and problems with running correlations. The last thing we do is we run this over time. So you can't just take one snapshot at one point in time and say, oh, this tells us everything we need to know. You need to look at change over time on the elements of your work environment, including engagement, and then change over time in your business outcomes. And that's where you get to something called, or at least very close to, cause and effect or causality. Um, and that's that's what's important. Um, the survey vendors, and again, I don't, I don't want to badmouth vendors, but they're not going to ever tell you that engagement doesn't work. Whereas our study is saying that engagement works sometimes about 25% of the time, but the other 75%, there's other elements and actionable things in your work environment that is going to help you drive actual business outcomes. I guess I would say two other quick things is, if you just want to call something engagement, a big problem with doing that is there is no actual definition of engagement out there. It's not like profit where we know, okay, that's that's revenue minus cost. There is no agreed upon engagement. So amongst all the vendors, they don't even really know what they're talking about in terms of engagement as a topic. For some, it's going above and beyond. For some, it's staying with an organization. For some, it's you know, being uh, being wedded to or, or a big proponent of the company's products, right? Those types of things. The other thing is that they're in business to sell engagement surveys and engagement services, whereas we're in the same business, but we're trying to sell and, and, and help our clients improve business outcomes. And if that means uh, working on career development or working on job fit, it's whatever the data tells you you need to be doing those diagnostics using real analytics, and that'll tell you exactly what to work on to maximize business results. All right. Well, this is great. The old uh, correlation and causation challenge, and uh, plus a definition and uh, all these things. So anything else about your methodology uh, that gives you confidence in the results? Sure. Uh, you know, a couple of things is you've got to be – honest with your audience and I think another key issue in measuring engagement is uh, what's the right number so if you're using a five-point scale what what number are you actually reaching for what's the number where to use the analogy again that if you hit that number uh, you know the heavens up and up and money starts falling out of the sky and the answer is no one knows uh, typically the answer I get is well the number we're reaching for is, is as long as it's higher than we got last year, <laughs> which isn't really much of a methodology. Um, the other thing is you want to do is I guess you could say as nerdy of an analysis behind the scenes, and then make it as simple as possible for leaders to take action on it. So this whole idea of lining up employee survey data with the the organization's business outcome data, whether again it's sales, customer set, etc. I think taking the time to apply that methodology is going to give you a lot more confidence than just saying, well, the company up the road from you did it this way, 
So you should do the same thing. When we know that every company is different, every company has their own culture, even if they're in the exact same industry and they work right next door to each other, they can have completely different cultures, completely different issues, et cetera. So you have to take this and study your own organization on a case-by-case basis, whereas just saying that Google does it or Facebook does it, that's all fine and dandy. But if you're in the lawnmower business in Alabama, the things that you're doing, if you're trying to apply what Google and Facebook does, is probably not going to work for you and vice versa. Them taking the advice of a lawnmower company may not work for them in their business. You've got to really use your own diagnosis in your own organization to make change happen um, and then illuminate the connection. Because one of the things we'll see is if you're just running correlations or if you're just saying, well, our, you know, our, high, our top highest scoring manager also had these key elements of, of engagement, so we must do everything like him or her. That's that's a methodology that anybody on a C-suite can just pick apart and make you look foolish on. So you've really got to up your game in terms of analysis. And I think you use the term in your question, methodology. So a key point here is just even the definition of analytics, where analytics has only become basically how many reports can you run, how many pie charts can you build, how many ways can you slice and dice data, and that's completely meaningless if you're not connecting all that people data to something that actually matters, which is, again, sales, customer side, profit, et cetera. So that's where that methodology is key of taking each organization and using their own data to do their own analysis rather than trying to come up with big, broad, sweeping generalizations uh, about what we did. Now, in our study, we did look at all of our clients, and a handful of things did bubble up to the top, but it's still important to diagnose yourself uh, when you're doing any kind of connection between people assessment data um, and business results. All right. Well, this all makes good sense. Let's uh, go on and talk about those things that are bubbling up to the top. I believe your studies suggest that um, you have management, you have job fit, and you have senior leadership that uh, come up as the most important determinants of employee performance and I believe then company performance, uh, with management being the most consistent driver of outcomes. So can you tell us some more about that and those three? Absolutely. I mean, the good news for basically every leader out there and every HR leader is that there's not some super secret sauce out there that nobody knows about that you have to apply to your organization to get great business results. So the study, again, across you know hundreds of organizations, uh, we found, and we've found this every year that we've done this, that these three key kind of buckets, management, job fit, and senior leadership, are consistent drivers of, of business outcomes, real business outcomes. Now, that's great news because things like managing people better, well, that's, that makes a lot of sense. If you've got a good manager who does certain things well, and, and I'll talk a little bit about that in detail, that, that makes people want to stay, want to work harder, and then, of course, what comes out of that? Better profit, better sales, customer sat, et cetera. So there's, it's not like we, we uncovered some magic jewel um, that, that nobody had heard of ever. So being a good boss, but, again, the diagnosis of your own organization, what elements of management do you need to focus on? And I'll talk about that in just a second. But the second one is job fit. 
So having a good boss, but then also being in a job that maximizes and is a good fit for your skills and abilities that you come in and, and you enjoy doing to a certain extent, um, that it's it's something that you don't get tired of. There's, a, there's something new, there's something different, there's ways you can improve not only yourself on the job, but also improve the job itself. That's another piece. Now, management comes down to what? Good hiring, good leadership development, good management 101, job fit, again, is that good pre-hire assessment, that good career development, making sure that, you know, if somebody has an accounting degree, you haven't pushed them into HR or vice versa, that you really understand where people are and you're developing them in their job so that they are a good fit for their role. And then you understand where your employees are so that you can put them in the right job. And then the last bucket that comes up over and over again is senior leadership in that people want to work for a winner. And who do they look to? They look to the C-suite not just the CEO, but the whole senior team. And what that means is, is people want to know where is the company? Are we being steered in the right direction? Um, if things are not going well, do we know about that? If things are going great, do we know about that? A lot of that has to do with the visibility of the senior leadership team. Uh, it doesn't mean that they have to be the greatest CEO, CFO, and CHRO that ever lived, but being visible, getting the message out there, being open and honest with employees about where they are um, and being accessible for questions, et cetera, we found uh, really make a huge difference. So if you look at these things in sum, having a good boss, being in a good job that you that's a good fit for you, and working for a company that's being led well at the top, those are, again, not anything magical, but they make a lot of sense, and they keep coming up over and over again. Now, the the key here, again, to reiterate is that don't just think, well, these are the three magic things because Scott said so and we should do these three magic things. The next step would be measuring a lot of elements of your work environment, including management, job fit, and senior leadership, and finding underneath the hood when you do a survey, okay, what, what specific actions of management are having the biggest impact here at our organization? What elements of job fit have the biggest uh, impact on outcomes? And then what elements of senior leadership? Because they're going to be different across every organization. Some organizations are going to be great at these things. Some are going to be lousy. Some are going to be somewhere in the middle. You've got to then take these elements and others and diagnose yourself. But it is very telling that there's a lot of simplicity in this, that if you can hit these three things a vast majority of the time, that's where you're going to get your best business performance, best retention, and then, of course, best, you know, satisfaction for employees across the board. Well, this is great. This is very encouraging, I think. They they seem to be elements that people have a good shot at working on. So mm-hmm. could you give us some takeaways for uh, for the listeners in each of these categories, things they could easily act on? Absolutely. You know, senior leadership, one of the things that we found that works the best are two key things. One is the visibility of senior leadership. As I said, they don't necessarily, of course, it helps to be super talented, but you don't have to be the most talented, extroverted speech giver uh, in the history of CEOs. Being visible as a C-suite, in other words, doing the videos, doing the town halls, writing the newsletters, uh, walking around the shop floor, visiting the locations if you're a spread out organization, being seen, owning your message, 
are absolutely huge in organizations. The fact, just if you think about it from the from the view of frontline managers and frontline employees, if they don't see members of the senior leadership team or hear from them, then that's when the conspiracy theories start. Okay, but if you're out there owning your message, then you're going to be in great shape. But somebody once told me, if you're not going to own your own message, then somebody else will be happy to own it for you. Right. So that's all they need to do. Now, senior leaders can do this in many different ways. If you're extremely introverted and it's not your MO to go walk around and talk to people all the time, then put it on your calendar like any other meeting. Spent, put an hour down every Thursday afternoon that you're going to go walk around and shake some hands and talk about what's going on and just see some people and be seen. Right? It doesn't have to be overly orchestrated or overly formal. So the visibility would be one key takeaway on senior leadership and just owning your message and hitting your message with multiple media. You know, for job fit, this is all about hiring and career development. Hiring right, meaning doing the right assessments, not just doing unstructured interviews, which don't work very well. And then once you've hired someone, putting them in the, in the job, and then talking to them, <laughs> having those career development discussions, uh, talking about where people want to be in one year, two years, three years, getting their advice and input on how to make the, the job that they're in better, easier, more productive. People will always have ideas on that. That's where it is. And then not making assumptions on job fit. Sometimes an administrative assistant just wants to be the greatest administrative assistant ever. They may not want to be the CEO in 10 years and may not want to be on any kind of fast track. The way you find that out, talk to people about it. So talk to them about the current job, how to make it better, and then, of course, the career development piece. And then, again, the job, the hiring piece, not just doing the unstructured interviews and guessing at hiring, which aren't very valid, doing the, the little assessments, doing the structured interviews, is going to help you to pick the right person who's going to stay and work hard and then, of course, be in the right role for them. The last part is management. Now, management obviously is a huge category that can cover many, many different areas. But what we find over and over again are things like giving great performance feedback, holding people accountable, building trust. And again, those kind of fit hand in hand with job fit of the whole, you know, the talking to people, giving them feedback about their performance, having good discussions, engaging in career development, et cetera, holding people accountable, so critical. And, and the reason this comes up is it's not just about the accountability and having goals. What we've had found in other research is that when we look at high performers, one of the things that high performers dislike the most is if low performers are not held accountable for low performance. So you may have, for example, in healthcare, two nurses standing next to each other. They both make the same wage. One that consistently goes above and beyond. Another one certainly does not go above and beyond. And yet they both get the same amount of money, and, and one of them never gets, a low performer never gets fired, never gets put in a performance plan. That's very frustrating. And the outcome of that is, your low performer stays with you, and your high performer moves on to greener pastures where there's a little bit more recognition for high performance. So those would be kind of the handful of takeaways for each one of those categories. But if you think about it, those are, again, there's no magic wand needed. That's kind of management 101, really. And everything I mentioned here can be done with some good development training, and some of it's just putting time on the calendar. So what I also mentioned here wasn't very expensive either for for people to to, to take away with and, and get the job done. 
Yeah, that's great. I appreciate the very practical tips. So um, why should uh, CEOs and HR leaders get excited about these results? First of all, what I just finished up with is that everything I, I listed there wasn't really that expensive. <laughs> Some of it was free. Right. Uh, walking around every one, you know, a couple of days a week for a C-suite person, uh, but you're not paying for them to get an MBA. Uh, they're just walking around for a little bit of time. Uh, the, the hiring piece, instead of doing unstructured interviews, do structured interviews. It's the same amount of time, except one's valid and one isn't. Uh, that's part of why they should get excited. Number two is, is that in our study, one of the things that we found is that 100% of the time, uh, employee experience mattered. In other words, you're doing these surveys, you may start getting skeptical about do they matter, et cetera, and the answer is in every single client, in every single organization that we looked at, the employee experience mattered to driving business results. So this stuff does matter. The key is you've got to diagnose your own organization to figure out what levers you need to pull in your employee experience that's going to work in your organization. But you have the data to do it, which is number three why folks should get excited. You have all the data right now to go out and do fantastic analytics the right way and figure out exactly what to do from a people perspective to drive business results, which... If I'm a CEO or an HR leader, this is what you've always wanted. This is uh, what we've always talked about in a lot of cases. And yet the data is sitting there right now for you to go and get. And if you by chance don't have the data, it's very simple, straightforward, and inexpensive to go get the data. The, the, the process of data collection, the price point has come down so far that it doesn't matter if you're a tiny food bank or a Fortune 10 company, you can afford to go and collect the data that you need. So that's the good part is that the data is either there or very easy and pretty cheap to get, and then the analytics are there as well. And then finally, the stuff works. In other words, there's proven, and we've done this for two decades now, of you can find exactly what to work on to drive business results, real business results. And now you're talking ROI, you're talking people improvement, that's why we get excited about it all the time because it's there. It's there for the taking, um, and, and it's right in front of folks. You've just got to kind of take that first step and go do it, and then you can, on the backside, prove that what you did actually worked. Well, that's, uh, that's very helpful. Now, I'd like to go back to uh, management. That came out as the most consistent driver of outcomes so what can you tell us about that the role that leaders play and how how does it set up the employee experience so that it will drive organizational outcomes? Yeah, I mean there's some baseline stuff that's that's pretty obvious and if if you've ever been in a job with a lousy manager then you know what that feels like and if you've ever been in a job with a great manager you know what that feels like too and it's night and day. It really is in terms of the experience. However, when you think about those key drivers that we talked about, senior leadership, job fit, and management, obviously management plays a key role in that management category, obviously. So we talked about that, about giving feedback, et cetera. But when you think about job fit, who's doing the hiring? The manager's doing the hiring. 
Uh, who's doing the career development discussions? The manager's doing the career development discussions. Who's talking to employees about how to make their job better, how to make themselves more productive, what barriers they have in their jobs that they can take away? The manager is in the middle of all that. And then I think one place where is super important for the role that managers and management plays is around senior leadership. If you're a frontline employee, one of the ways that you view senior leadership is through the, the lens of your own manager. If your own manager wants to make senior leadership look like fools, he or she can certainly do that in how they talk about senior leadership. If your boss wants to make senior leadership look like heroes, they can do that as well in how they discuss senior leaders, um, corporate initiatives, etc. And so one key thing here in terms of the employee experience that we found as well is when a leader wants to buddy up to employees, they have two ways they can do that. They can kind of throw senior leadership under the bus. For example, senior leadership comes out with a big corporate initiative. That leader can say two things. They can either say, oh, here we go again. Corporate's making us do this, or the CEO's making us do this. Let's band together and we'll just push through. And they feel like they're building a relationship with their employees, but they're making their senior team and corporate team look horrible. Or they can say, wow, this is going to be fantastic. Let's rally around this. This is going to be a great change, good change management, et cetera. That's going to really help that employee have a great experience or maybe rethink, why am I at this organization if the senior team is so bad, if they don't know what they're talking about? So the leader is that pivotal role because their fingerprints are on just about every part of the employee experience. And they need to know that, and they need to behave in a way that really reflects that they own a lot of that employee experience. Now, one way they can really get behind that is sharing research like ours that says, look how important the employee experience is to helping you make more money as a company or be more productive in your own role as a leader. And that way they can they can lead now with their head and their heart but also with their wallet, if that means something to them, right? So if you can prove that this kind of stuff drives outcomes, then there's one more reason for them to get behind it and do the right thing as a leader. Well, this is great. This is all starting to come together. Um, now, I think people tend to look for a one-size-fits-all approach, but I'm thinking from what you've said so far, they're not going to find that. Each company has to... Uh, figure out how to set its own priorities. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, it, look, it is completely human nature to <laughs> to want to have a, an easy, one-size-fits-all, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it, uh, magic wand. And the problem is, is that we in HR, we never seem to learn our lesson because we got hooked in with empowerment a couple of decades ago. Now we've got hooked in with engagement, which was supposedly a panacea, when, again, as I said earlier, you have all the data that you need to do the analysis. And even doing the analysis is, is again, not the price points come down, et cetera. There's ways you can do this. And you want to diagnose yourself and get exactly what you need to work on. It, it, if you think about sad diets out there, it, you, people jump all over that. Why? Because typically... They're easy, everybody's talking about them, and they don't require too much. It's okay, let's just eat grapefruits at every meal and I'll lose weight. That's easy to understand. You may not love the diet, but it feels like a one-size-fits-all when you might have all kinds of you know 
different issues in your own body that would make that a bad idea. You want to go in, test for yourself, figure out the key elements of your organization, and then work on exactly what elements are going to work for you. I kind of keep using that healthcare example, but it's so true. You know, yes, we all need to have good cholesterol and blood pressure and keep our weight down, but for some, there might be one other thing that's super critical to somebody's health. It could be blood sugar, right? And yeah, you could work on the big three, but if you miss one that was important just for you, then you could be cutting your own life short. Same thing here. There's obviously a couple of key things that we talked about about job fit management and senior leadership, but that doesn't mean that you're in your organization that there's another element out there that's hurting your organization. You might have really bad benefits or compensation or uh, you know any kind of communication pieces in your organization that don't fall nicely into those three categories that might be really important for you. And so you've really got to go in, do your own diagnosis, your own analysis, and that'll tell you what your big three or big four issues that you need to work on to drive your own results. <clears throat> now, the downside to that is it's not one size fits all. It does take a little bit more time and effort, but the outcome is you're going to be a heck of a lot more certain that you're going to be, able to be driving business results and not guessing and hoping that the one size fits all panacea may or may not work for you. All right, thanks for that. Um, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, it's challenging enough for HR to have have this bottom line impact, but uh, it seems to me it's a step harder to convince the C-suite that you're having that impact. So, and you've suggested that HR isn't doing a very good job of that. Can you tell us uh, what they're doing wrong and what they might do instead? Sure. I, I think... <clears throat> Part of it is not that they're not doing a good job, is that they're not doing the job in terms of analysis. Now, in some cases, that's not to blame HR, and, and here's what I mean by that is what, a lot of what we do with clients, like I said, is taking their people data, like their employee survey, and then bringing in business outcome data, and then running some pretty advanced analytics. Well, you don't fall out of bed knowing how to do those analytics. You know, it took it took us, uh, me and, and Shane, my, the co-founder, four years of, of grad school studies to learn how to do the statistical stuff. So it's not like HR has this skill and they're they're just ignoring it. So you've got to really get an understanding of statistical analysis, maybe even hire somebody to help you do it. But where HR falls down on this is not taking the time to either do the analysis themselves or find help to do it. There's kind of this assumption that, well, our engagement score went up a little bit, so we're going to assume that that's good for business outcomes. And we make this huge assumption with zero proof. Um, and so that's kind of the, the big issue here is you've got to take the time and either build your, your own expertise or buy the expertise to take the time to prove the impact. If not, then you're stuck in assumption land, and then you get stuck in, in panacea land, which you don't want to be in because that hurts your credibility pretty badly. The other thing is we kind of, again, stick with what we already know. For example, in leadership development, people want to do two things. They'll want to hear that the CEO likes the program, and then they want to do the happy sheet rating, and that's how we determine if if the, the program was good or not. 
when you have plenty of data there, whether it's attendance or test scores or behavior change to really show, hey, we, we spent, you know, $50,000 on this leadership program and we gained X amount of dollars back by improved productivity, lower, lower turnover, more customer sat, whatever that is. So it's really, once the project is done or implemented, really taking the time to do the analysis to prove out the ROI. Now, part of the blame is the C-suite, they need to demand that of HR. A lot of times it's, oh, that program was really well received, so HR did a good job on it, when the CEO should be saying, no, 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 I want to know. We spent X amount of dollars. How many dollars did we get back from this program? So the C-suite needs to hold HR accountable, and then HR needs to be willing to take the steps and the analytical processes to prove out what they did uh, in terms of did it work or not and be willing to say maybe it didn't work that, that well. They've got to be able to prove that out as well. All right, so we're talking about analytics, and I know you presented a session on people analytics and surveys at the recent uh, HRDA 2018 conference. So do you have any particular analytics that you favor or disfavor or uh survey techniques that you'd recommend to listeners? Yeah, on the analytics side, um, and I mentioned a couple times, it was worth repeating that correlations are not, they're not good enough. Um, just looking at kind of your top five managers, bottom five managers, and trying to look for differences or behavior differences there, also not good because you're, you're basically not using enough data uh, to really analyze it and do it properly. You want to use things like structural equation modeling and regression and those types of things. And I know that's scary as heck for an HR leader, particularly if you don't have a statistical background. But if you're in a big company, you probably have a resource that does know how to do that. Um, and if you're not in a large company that has internal resources, as I mentioned, ability to uh, basically hire somebody to do that, the price point is within reach for HR. But do not do the 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 correlation or the couple of highs and lows or I read it on you know on online that this that this drives this. That you definitely don't want to do. The second part of your question about surveying techniques, I think this is a really appropriate question because when we talk about fads coming down the road, one of the things that you'll hear about now is that people that you need to be surveying your people all the time. And I can't tell you how bad of an idea that is. People are saying, well, if you have this constant stream of data, then you can act quickly, et cetera. And here's what the reality is, is that we have a hard time as leaders acting on a survey that we do once a year. Getting a leader to actually do something with the survey that they get once a year, you'll see a, an HR leader's eyes roll in the back of their head because they have it's a fight to get someone to really do a good action plan and implement that action plan, et cetera. Having people surveyed all the time and getting a constant stream of data, thats all that's good for is looking at, at PowerPoint slides and overwhelming leaders with data that they can't act on fast enough. And the ultimate problem with it is that Whenever an employee does a survey, they're expecting to hear what were the results of that survey, and they're also expecting that something's going to happen from the survey. And if you're surveying people once a week or every other week, and it's just so you can have some data to play with and look at, you're going to really upset your employees. And we at that conference, HRDA conference, 
we just did a, a, a study with frontline employees and we asked them, how often do you actually want to be surveyed? And the overwhelming amount was once a year, twice a year, maybe once a quarter. It was not once a week, once a day, once a month, et cetera. So just because there's technology out there where you can survey people all the time doesn't mean that you should be surveying them all the time. It's, the other analogy is that getting on the scale every five minutes isn't going to help you lose weight, <laughs> right? You've got to go out there and actually do things that are helping you, you know, take action and then check your weight every once in a while. That's kind of the approach that you want to take because ultimately what, the, what happens is your participation rates fall because people get tired of taking surveys where nothing happens. Well, thanks. That's great advice, I think. Now, this is one thing I'm interested in. You indicated that you have a way for HR to impact business outcomes 100% of the time. So I think we'd all like to hear what that is. Can you share? <laughs> sure. Well, it, basically, in every study that we've done for every client in the past two decades, we've always found a connection between people and business results, meaning whether it's on our 360s and its competencies and behaviors or it's on employee surveys and the work environment or anything on pre-hire assessments, there is always a connection for every single client between the people data and the business outcome data. Now, sometimes it's higher in some organizations than others. Sometimes it's in places that we talked the big three buckets that we talked about. Sometimes it's in places that we never even thought of. But there's always a connection between the people and the business outcomes. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense. And people, I guess you could say, assume that. We call, you know, people our greatest asset. And so that's good news for HR that it's not like the stuff that we do is irrelevant. The big hurdle is we've got to prove it. And we've got to prove it specifically, and we've got to prove it analytically and show the actual ROI. Now, as we talked about earlier, those kind of big three buckets, the management, the job fit, the senior leadership, those come up over and over again. But in a lot of studies, diversity matters, teamwork matters, communication matters, work-life balance matters. Um, just because they weren't in the top three doesn't mean that they never matter. It just means that they only come up in certain client situations. So the good news is that the people matter. They matter every single time. And then what's key is is figuring out what elements of your work environment and leadership and senior leadership and, and all these different areas, what's going to work for you 100% of the time. And so we kind of give you the big three, but again, you've got to self-diagnose because like I said, managing job fit, senior leadership, okay, those are kind of the big three, but in a lot of organizations, not all, but in a lot, work-life balance matters. So what does that mean? Well, <clears throat> once you figure that out, you can implement work-life balance um, activities, elements, wellness, et cetera, shift uh, changes, telecommuting. There's a whole litany of things you can do once you do the diagnosis. So that's the great news, that HR should be emboldened that this stuff matters. It's just taking that one final step of helping C-suite, helping frontline leaders, helping employees to really understand specifically what elements work all the time, in what areas, and then where HR does their greatest work is on the execution side is once you've done the diagnosis, 
implementing the initiatives, the training, the activities, all that good stuff, that's going to move the needle. And that's HR's sweet spot, which is great. So everybody should feel very emboldened by that, that the research backs it up. But it's not one size fits all. You've really got to find your own secret sauce, your own levers to pull in your own organization. All right. This has all, uh, all been very helpful. To, uh, to sum it all up, any final recommendations for companies that want to implement or explore these ideas? Sure. Number one is don't be afraid of data. And, you know, the, I guess the horrible stereotype of HR folks is that they don't have the stats background. And, and maybe let's assume that that's true, that the majority of HR folks are deep, deeply analytically inclined. That doesn't have to be an obstacle. <clears throat> Again, there's plenty of resources out there inside your organization, outside your organization, et cetera. That's number one. Number two is don't run after the magic wand. Again, the, just because Google's doing it, you should do it, is not the approach you want to take. Self-diagnose is huge. Don't be afraid of the data. And the last part is make it a priority. You know, for, we kind of talked about this with leadership development. Once you get the program done and everybody pushed through it, it's like you're out of breath. You just want to take a vacation. And that's when you've really got to amp up your game and talk about the impact, the outcome, the ROI. And we kind of skate past that and move on to the next initiative when we should put some real thought and effort into that. And the last recommendation is don't think that you have to throw everything out, start over, or collect a whole bunch more data. The great news on the, this last recommendation is that you probably already have the data that you need to start doing some great analytical stuff. And if you don't, doing an employee survey, doing a 360, doing pre-hire assessments, those are right at your fingertips. They're not that tough to put together. They're not overly expensive. And the turnaround time can be very, very fast to get you going down the road of doing these analytical things. Uh, pretty quickly so that either way you you should have the data you probably do but if you happen to have some gaps in data they're very easy to fill and you can run right down the road quickly on on doing these ROI studies um, in short order and that's going to bring a heck of a lot of credibility to the work that you're doing but again self-diagnosis is key just because it works elsewhere you've got to really figure out your own issues first your own business drivers and then you'll be in good shape Scott, that's great. Thanks so much for joining us today and providing very helpful insights. My pleasure. Thanks again for having us. This is fantastic. So listeners, please let me know what HR work should cover next. Bruce at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Bruce for HR Works.